VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. This is the very last one before the World Cup. Uh, I'll be a little bit sad. But uh, a little bit happy as well. Uh, anyway, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm joined in the studio by Alison Rudd, Clive Petty, and down the line from Madrid. Yes, that's right. Despite being on the road, he was able to take time out of his busy, busy schedule just to be with us and you. It's Rory K. Smith. One place to kick off the FA Cup final. All right, nine years, the drought is over. Alison, my analytical mind tells me that this is entirely irrelevant because they finished fourth, and I know people love mocking the fourth place trophy and so on, but that actually shows that Arsene Wenger is doing, uh, is capable of doing very good things with relatively limited resources, and that's all that matters, and, you know, they played every game at home, they played hole in the final with cup-tied players, who cares that they won this? Well, but am I wrong? He no, he cares. I think he cares a lot, and I think, I actually believe the whole contract signature he, he needed to know whether he was going to win the trophy and what the reaction would be if he did or didn't. I think in some ways to, to beat Hull City, they were favourites to beat Hull City, the, the, the scenes of celebration, I mean, you'd think they'd, they'd just won the treble, to be honest, not, not, not won a cup final they're expected to win. And the fans bought into it and say it matters. And I think it's like a pressure valve's been released because they're so used to finishing fourth, it doesn't matter... Clive's laughing at me and I don't know why uh, the pressure valve's been released so although in, in sheer logical terms so what, they, they won a cup final they're expected to win I think Wenger got applauded when he went into the press room I mean this, you know, this is a man who's been under enormous pressure and he's looked I can't operate in, I can't operate with people giggling uh, sorry, it's because Clive was making a face and perhaps Clive you can tell us why you were making a face I'm not. No, I wasn't. Well, no. I mean, is it is the point? I mean, on the back of what Allison said, is the point that you know you're you're playing a whole city side who had a good Premier League season, but then again, they're playing without you know their two first choice strikers, and you go two goals down, you come back, you win, and you got to go into extra time to do it, and all this jazz, and yet it feels like a liberation. Is is there maybe a lesson there that the Premier League table isn't the be all and end all, but Silverware is quite nice. I think silverware is quite nice. I mean, they've finished fourth, as you say, for 17 successive seasons. No, no, finished fourth. But at a Champions League place for 17 successive seasons, whatever it is. And, they won a double but, uh, in there, too. But, you know, they have, and they, 
they used to have sort of victory parades, but they had one when they last won the cup, and they haven't had they haven't had one since. You know, so that fact that they took to the streets to celebrate this was obviously important to them. I think good that for once two teams in it actually it was important to both of them and I think yeah. you know um, as much as you say Arsenal continually you know in the Champions League all the time that getting that monkey off their back for after nine years was important to them you know it's like, uh, that's what made it I think both teams actually going for it helps the course of the FA, of the FA Cup I think when they went two goals down on set pieces did you get the sense that uh oh history repeating itself uh, yeah you thought well, no. To be honest, I, I've got to admit, even even at two, because because they they got one back relatively quickly, I was fairly sure. And we had a conversation in the uh, in the bowels of the, of the new camp at uh, at half time, just sort of saying this will end five two to Arsenal. If they hadn't scored that goal relatively quickly, I think it, they could have got very nervy. And it would have been very different, but they did. It's a great triumph for Arsenal. I think what what this all shows, and I agree with Clive completely, that as someone who who does like the FA Cup. I think it's, it's brilliant that we, we didn't have a final between two big sides who don't really care about it. And also, this won't necessarily be very popular, that we didn't have a final between two smaller sides for whom it was kind of a novel day out. Because I think I don't think that does any great favours to the competition. I think this, in a sense, was, a, was the perfect final. It was the big team who were bothered and a smaller side who obviously thought it was really special. Rory, Rory, Rory you've been spending too much time with, with, with the greats of Barcelona and Real Madrid. You've gone all poncy and elitist on us. No, not not at all. I just think that there's... Yeah, I, I, as I say, I realise it's unpopular. I, I love an underdog, but I quite like it when they go out in the semi-final. Um, but what I would say is that it's strange how fickle football is. Not strange. Predictable how fickle is, how fickle football is. And But this is a great example because for, for 10 years, Arsene Wenger has been telling us that he couldn't give a flying about the FA Cup. He's made that perfectly clear. And now that they've won it, He's acting like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and that's fine. And I'm gl- I welcome that because he, he is important that managers value the FA Cup because I value the FA Cup, so it's important to me that they do. But I don't think we should pretend that if we're judging Wenger by his own standards, then it doesn't matter. That game could quite easily have gone to penalties. It, it really could have, and Wenger admitted they weren't well equipped for a penalty shootout. Imagine they don't have a ball. <laughs> they don't know anyone who could strike a ball under under those conditions. But it, it's not. It wasn't so one sided that that wasn't. That it, you know, I think it's highly probable that Hull would have won the penalty shootout. Highly and, probable. Yeah, yeah. Given, well, given he took off Kazola, he was left with people who couldn't couldn't. He didn't want to take penalties. As opposed to Fryer, Aluko, and those guys. But they have the whole vast collection of German internationals. Exactly. No, but I just what I what I mean is that's why it's significant because had it gone to penalties and say they lost a shootout, we the the mood that this discussion would be incredibly sour towards yeah, Wenger's I mean, inability to 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 be pragmatic, to rally his troops, to inspire them. But yeah, and that's the thing with football that with the one result kind of changes everything, but. And, and ultimately, it's kind of random, you know, <laughs> shot, a shot goes in rather than going over and well, suddenly, you know, Wenger's a genius. In. And I, I think it's strange that he left the contract thing. We'll get to the contract. Won a trophy. We'll get to the contract in a minute. But I, I, I thought there was some significance, though, even though Rory brushed it off, saying because they pulled one back straight away. And the fact that they went two goals down and, and, and came back. You know, there's a point where Arsenal's quality, up to a point, if they carry on playing what they're doing, I mean, you know, they got that goal back. 
was it Gibbs who cleared the head off the line to stop him going 3 0 down, which might also have been a turning point? Surely it's a point where Hull had given so much, and the, the fact well, that Arsenal quality then becomes the dominant thing in the game, and, and that's how it tells. That's what good teams probably eventually do. But you have to hang in there long enough to make the quality count. And I should argue. Yeah, Bottle is a double edged sword, isn't it? Because it, it is, there's no question that you can that you can look at that game and say, well, Arsenal showed great character, and that, that is something we've always accused them of lacking. So credit to Arsenal for showing great character. And credit less to me credit for to pointing Arsenal. it out. Absolutely, Dab. Enormous credit to you, but but less credit to Arsenal for going 2 0 down to Hull. Well, that's fine, but they're, but they're, they're defensive mistakes. They're set pieces. You know, we know, we know there's an issue there. It's not like it's not like they went two goals down because they were scared or intimidated. They went two goals down, and and by the way, that that the first finish at Chester, be <clears throat> like, oh, what a wonderfully subtle touch. Anybody want to really argue that that's a wonderfully subtle touch? No, it was hit and hope, but he meant to, to hit it. It wasn't a ricochet. I mean, he thought, I'll give it a go. And if he hit it cleanly, it probably wouldn't have gone in. about set pieces. We've come to the, we've got to the last game of the season against, you know, Hull. You know, it's, it's, not a, it's no great brainstorm, is it? It's still, we're still talking about Arsenal being poor at set pieces. You know, how, how much do we have to go through a season before the world, Mr. Wenger goes, oh, hello, we're not, you know, we should, the world's we should do an imperfect. this. Clive, the world is an imperfect place, as you know. All that said about Arsenal, um, my Arsenal supporting friends pointed out that they had three legitimate penalty appeals turned down. And I hate picking on referees at this stage of the season. And to be fair, the goal that the goal that made a 2-2 was not a corner, although I think we can give Probert a pass on that one because I thought it was really, really hard uh, to spot the, the, the Sunogo backheel. But I thought some of these were pretty obvious. The, the, the two fouls on Casorla from... Davis and Myler, the Livermore's handball. Where I, am, am I wrong here, Alison? Well, I, I watched the FA Cup final in a in a bar in Mallorca with David Dunn, but so I, I, with the commentary from the Barcelona game at the same time. So, <laughs> so I, I, I these niceties passed me by completely. Right, we're showing I was drunk. lack of professionalism here. <laughs> Rory, help me out, please. I want to know was Alison on holiday on holiday with David Dunn? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it. I spotted him at the bar. That's a whole podcast. I spotted him at the bar. I spotted him at the bar and uh, it started to annoy me that he was watching um, Barcelona Atletico. Why? And not watching the FA Cup final. Why? And I thought, I've got to find out why. So I (laughs) I went up to him, all indignant and slightly tipsy. And said, Mr. Dunn, Mr. Dunn, I don't, I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to be. I said, why on earth are you watching the Barca game, not the FA Cup final? And he went, I am watching the Cup final. And he pointed to the wall on the left, and I didn't see. There was another screen showing the Cup final, which he was watching. So I did the whole, I'm really sorry, but I'm glad I clarified it. Otherwise, I'd have gone home thinking you weren't watching it. And he said, you should know me better than that, love. <laughs> All right. So I didn't ask him about his contract. He's out of contract. I didn't ask him which club he wanted to go to. I just Dunn needed anymore. to know. I just needed to know that he was watching Is the it? FA Cup final. And for the record, everybody, David Dunn watched the FA Cup final. Okay, that's that, that, that's wonderful. I, I want a, a word on uh, a word on Hull City because we you know, we praised them earlier, but I, I kind of feel that because it's Steve Bruce, because most of these people. I mean, if you look at this team and you ask yourself, you know, who has potential star quality, and you know, maybe Tom Huddleston back in the day, Curtis Davies maybe uh, back in the day, but ultimately this is still uh, a side which um, which plays a back three, which nobody else in England does. Um, plays Alex, the manager's son, as as a sweeper, and, and Alex Bruce, I think, is 
actually very limited in many ways. It's almost as if this is the only role he could play. Uh, I don't think he's played very much in a, in, in a back four as a center half. Um, they've got Huddleston, who's another sort of player with a very unusual skill set, I think, to say the least. Um, should we be giving some praise? If, if his name was, you know, Esteban Brusios, would we, <laughs> would we be viewing him? No, I'm going to take a leaf out of Tim Shore, which is that's our next topic, but would we be saying, oh, look, you know, he, he knows his tactics. He's clever. You know, he plays, you know, Steve Quinn between the lines. That, that, that's very clever. Well, I don't think anyone's saying anything negative about Steve Bruce. They're not saying anything negative, but they're saying, oh, Bruce, oh, you know, you know the, usual, the usual garbage people spout out when it comes to, uh, when it comes to managers. Nobody's, nobody's talking about him as a guy who's a tactical innovator. Well, Tony Pulis had him as his, his manager of the season. I think he's, I think yeah, he's had a fantastic season. because Tony Pulis could nominate himself, who probably would have been a better <laughs> choice than Steve Bruce, to be fair. Yeah, but, you know, he's... he's He's had a lot of praise. He's had very limited resources. He's gone under the radar because they were never quite in danger of relegation. And the cup run, you know, that comes quite late in the season. You don't want to talk tactics because you're English. Roy, I'll give it to you since you're you're one of those English, self-loathing English people. And Rafa Benitez is your mate. Does he get any... Uh, you're your from English. you're a Yorkshireman. Sorry, did you get any? Does he get any any extra brownie points for playing a back three? Why does nobody else do it? Do they not understand it? Does Steve Bruce have a tactical dimension that he's not given credit for? Am I just uh, talking out of my rear end? I, I, I would I would hesitate to say nobody else understands it. I, it. It appears that most of the managers are trying to forsaken it a little bit since its, its high point in the nineties. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not entirely sure. To me, I've got to say, just on a side note, in, in the modern game, because of the athleticism that the players have, wing-backs make sense because you, sh- you don't need two players to track up and down the line, whereas 30, 40 years ago, you did, just players weren't fit enough to do, to do the entire flank themselves. Nowadays, everyone's fit enough to do that, so wing-backs kind of make sense from that point of view. Um, I think the, thing with, the funny thing with Bruce is that at no point in his career has he been seen as a bright, young, managerial thing, despite having that stamp of Fergie. That, you know, he's, he's one of the original members of the, of the Cabal. And I think that's slightly odd. Uh, he's never been thought of in terms of big jobs, despite the fact that broadly his record's pretty good. And I think he's, he's probably, he is probably a better manager than, than we think he is. And I think the reason for that is that he looks a bit like, to, to quote Barney Roney, uh, a family butcher with a secret. And I think that doesn't help. We're going to have a whole series of mini-debates now because we're running out of season and we need to get through this. But, um, Clive, I'm going to start with you because Tim Sherwood is no longer the um, Spurs manager. I don't think it was much of a surprise there. I think I've asked you before whether he was getting a raw deal, so I won't ask that again. But how much faith do you have in, uh, in Mr. Levy? And it is Mr. Levy because, as far as I understand, Mr. Lewis has no input whatsoever, even though he owns most of the club, that they will make the right choice. And what will the right choice be? I'm led to believe Mr. Lewis had some input in Redknapp's departure, but, but I, I, I'll leave that one hanging. I, I wish I could tell you what Levy's next move, because I'm never quite sure that Daniel Levy kind of knows what he wants from a Tottenham manager either, to be quite honest. Apart from the fact, I suppose he wants the perfect bloke who will, you know, here's your budget, you're not spending any more than that, stop finishing fifth and sixth, get in the Champions League. and But no real sort of plan of how you're meant to do that or what sort of person he actually wants. I think Sherwood, I keep banding this uh, thing about him having 59% win percentage, the best of all Tottenham managers in the Premier League, but I mean, surely he even, he just knew he was there for a stopgap. You know, that was always what he was going to be. 
hope, and I have no idea what Levy is looking for in the next Tottenham manager. I really don't. I'm not quite sure he knows what he was looking for in the, in the managers he's appointed before. He got rid of the manager with the best win percentage before Sherwood, who happened to be AVB. And he, you know, did he get rid of him, or did AVB get rid of himself? We don't quite. Well, well, you say that, that, but we don't know that if we're led to believe that stuff coming out of Tottenham, Sherwood got rid of himself because he kept you know, all the things he supposedly said that were you know bad mouthing Levy and his board. So, you know, if we if we go down that road, Levy doesn't get rid of any managers, does he? He needs to come out of the hip stick his head above the parapet one one time actually, and actually perhaps speak to the Tottenham supporters and say, yes, I know we had this guy and I know we had that guy, and this is where we're going now. This is the club we want to be, but we never hear anything from him. But if he wants a manager who doesn't blab and you know tell the secrets of what's been said to him in boardrooms, he should definitely appoint Pochettino, who refuses to speak English publicly. I think you'll be surprised. He just doesn't like speaking English to people like you, or me, in the media. Exactly. That's, well, that's all that Levy cares about, isn't it? These things are always are always a matter of perspective, aren't they? That, that Spurs' terrible season isn't a terrible season by the measure of, kind of, 86 other football clubs in the league. Their terrible season is not a patch on Man United's terrible season, for example. I think I think Alison and Clive are right, though. I think the, the the issue now is what does Levy want, and also kind of deeper than that is what the Spurs think they are, because the, the, and this is gonna, this is something that, that will keep recurring. But those top six or seven, if you include Everton, who I think are run on slightly different lines, not that they're a smaller club, they're just they're run on an understanding that they are they, you know they have to punch above their weight. It, those big six say are. Are going to have to realise to an extent that that there are only four spaces in the Champions League, and that that means that occasionally they're going to they're going to miss out, and that could be to do with you know injuries, as you say, it could be to do with unfortunate refereeing decisions. You can't you can't chop and change the manager every year because you don't finish in the top four. And I think the problem that Spurs have got is that Levy doesn't seem to understand that sixth place for Spurs is pretty much on par. That that's that's the amount of money they spend on their wages. That's probably where they are in terms of. It, roughly in terms of kind of history and in terms of kind of modern sort of present day expectations, that's roughly what Spurs are. Sixth is a par finish, but Levy doesn't seem to be able to kind of realise that that to get to that fourth place, you, you don't have to build something. And I think that's the problem. That say, if, and it appears that Pochettino is the favourite, and I think that's a that's an intelligent appointment because I think Pochettino is an excellent manager. But what happens if Spurs only finish fifth next year or fifth the year after? Just the, the intimation seems to be that that will cost the manager his job, but failure to get in the Champions League will, will, not, will do for you. I, I'm, I'm not sure that's... I'm not, I don't know why Levy all of a sudden is portrayed as some kind of like trigger-happy um, loon. I mean, you know, if you throw in the, the, the red nap period, it's what, three managers in six years? I don't think that that's completely, um, c- completely crazy. Uh, I don't think that's sacking a manager every year. Um, I think basically the reasons, I mean, it's not we know why Redknapp eventually went. We know why AVB went. We know why Sherwood went. Um, and I don't think any one of those guys you point to and say, they left because Levy didn't think they were good enough. But equally, if you're Pochettino, and Pochettino, if you look, look beyond his, his, I think, perfectly sensible refusal to speak English, he's a fiercely ambitious manager. He genuinely believes he can be a Real Madrid manager, a Barcelona manager, you know, a, a Juventus manager, whatever. He, he wants to do big things. 
if you go to Spurs, there is a very good chance that you will do reasonably well and still that won't be enough. And in two or three years' time, and I agree with you, he's, you know, Levy's not Maurizio Zamperini, but in two or three years' time, it may well be that you find yourself under pressure. And when you, become, when you get under pressure, your stock inevitably falls. It's the same reason I can't quite understand why Frank de Boer is so interested. As far as I can tell, all Frank de Boer has to do is sit to Ajax for as long as possible and eventually he'll be Barcelona manager. Why go to Tottenham? It doesn't make any yeah, sense. Uh, it's kind of a zero-sum game. Uh, so wouldn't Pochettino... Is you saying Pochettino should be better off going somewhere else other than Tottenham? Because I, I don't see where from Southampton that kind of route... Yeah, to... from, South, from Southampton, it's a, it's a more logical step. I, just, I, I think that the way that Levy's run Spurs would maybe sow seeds of doubt in your mind if you were a, a very ambitious manager. I, I don't know. I look at Spurs' squad, and I kind of think if you're Pochettino, you look at the other managers. I, I imagine Pochettino looks at the people ahead of him in the table, should he get the job, and say, um, do I believe I have, between the squad and the manager, is, there a, is my group better than Arsene Wenger's? And I bet Pochettino believes, yeah, thinks he is better than Arsene Wenger. Um, and I think he is he believes he is better than, than, than what Everton have. With the squad he has right now, I, I guarantee you Pochettino must believe he can finish top four or, or top three. And then if he doesn't, you know, then he might come up short. Enough Spurs for the next many, many months. On a, on, on a rather controversial note, Richard Scudamore, uh, if, you, if you miss this story, it's the kind of story that sort of came out and then sort of thought it might go away, but it didn't. It's still here and it looks like it's getting more serious and possibly in terms of the, the reactions to it. But for those who missed it, it kind of goes like this. Uh, the Premier League uh, hired a temporary uh, PA. Uh, she worked there for about uh, a week, I'm told. She got access to Scudamore's emails, uh, contrary to what some people wrote. It's my understanding that they weren't automatically sent to her. And she found some of the uh, language used in there uh, sexist and uh, disturbing. In particular, um, some of his conversations with uh, a man named Nick, Nick West, who's described as a super lawyer in uh, some newspapers, uh, which makes me like him instantly. In particular, Nick West used some unpleasant language uh, referring to women. Uh, Scudamore made some, what, I guess what he thought at the time were, were jokes, referring to... Do I need to go into this much detail? I'm sure we all know what it is. <laughs> We're refer referring to a colleague of theirs named Edna, whose real name is actually Pita, P-E-T-A, which I thought was a funny name I hadn't heard before, um, saying that she needs to stay off his shaft or something like that, uh, some other joke about London buses. Um, and, and, and you were used the word broad, which I don't think has been used since the 1930s, unless you're a fan of musical theater. Roy, I'm going to start with you for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, I can't, I mean, I, I, for me, I, I believe in, in, in privacy, and this is the guy's private email, and I have a problem with somebody going into somebody's private email and then um, publishing it, selling it, if they sold it, or giving it to a newspaper. On the other hand, if, if the content is so shocking, then there's a public interest element here, and it needs to be looked at, right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely comfortable with the idea that that you could. I mean, Studemore is a public figure, although the Premier League is not a publicly owned company. He's not. He's not a minister. He's not. He's not. He's not kind of in charge of any of, of any of us. He just runs a business. 
I'm torn, to be honest. He, he's clearly been crass, and and it's, it's the stuff. I hate the word that the, the really controversial word that he used. I can't stand it. It's interesting that, that no one's trying to pressure Nick West to resign. Why isn't Why isn't that happening? Do you know what I mean? He's being investigated, apparently. The thing with Studemore is that he's clearly been trash. As I say, it's a horrible word. He's behaved badly. Do I think it should be a matter of which he should lose his job? No, I don't. Not really. And I've got to say that there seems to be this feeling that, that the media are protecting Studemore, that we're all his mate. I've met Richard Studemore, I think, twice. Don't know him at all. Not exactly the best friend of the Premier League. But it, it, it's not. He's not been racist. He's not been homophobic. Right. He's not been particularly sexist. Oh, yeah. It's... It's purely and simply, yeah, it's it's horrible behaviour, but then, you know, rich businessman behaves like a bit of a rude word. Is that really a shock? The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm not sure it is. He's well, got some fairly, obviously got some fairly old-fashioned views, but that shouldn't cost you your job. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in, in two minds about this because of my views on privacy. I'm, I'm open to, to, to being educated here, but uh, just for comparison's sake, I had a major problem with the fact that Paul Elliott was forced to resign because of a, uh, of a term he used um, in, a, in, a, in a private conversation with, uh, with, with, with somebody else um, a while back. And I thought it was kind of disgusting how that got leaked and, uh, and, and it was used to beat him over the head with it. I think in, in some ways, I'm not gonna, I hate the way in the media we often ask, uh, especially when there are people who aren't very represented, like women in f- football writing, to speak on behalf of everyone. So I'm only ask you to speak on behalf of yourself. But, thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Your, football is a sexist industry. Newspaper, the media is a, a is a pretty sexist industry. Certainly, um, there aren't very many women represented, and they are in the fluffy pages, but not in in sport, not in the toy department. I mean, does it make a difference if it happens behind closed doors, or if it's kind of the run of the mill behind the office, or, or run of the mill in, in an office environment, or or, or whatever else? Uh, well, I the way I came at it was 
thinking back to the Richard Keys and Andy Gray debacle, what happened there was that the, the female staff they worked with just became so uh, across with their... Uh, they would regularly be sexist banter. And that's why um, their comments were about Sean Massey were leaked, because they just had enough. And it then transpired that... I think something similar happened. People said, well, you know, just one mistake. And then people realised they had a bit of a history not behaving terribly PC and being generally quite sexist. And it built and built and, and they became a, they became this this picture of, of a pair of blokes who were just far too blokey and far too dismissive of, of women that might, they might come across in a, in a workplace. And so I thought, well, I'll apply the same thing to Richard Scudamore if it transpires that this is just one example of many examples of him not promoting women because he thinks they're idiots or um, you know time of the month problems whatever it is he's got an issue with or if if there are if other women come out of the woodwork and say you know he I overheard him discussing what I might be like in bed or whatever and he sexualizes women in the workplace and it's entirely inappropriate then he should go but if all it is is that he's engaged in a bit of email to and froing with someone who was the the other person was the one who instigated the more demeaning phrases, then I don't think it's a, a sacking offence. But what I don't... what the thing, But it does become a bit tiresome that the, when people say, oh, I don't... It's about privacy and it wasn't that bad, really. It does seem to me quite clear that there are three things that you're not supposed to do, but sexism is the least awful of them. And if, if he'd said, oh, don't get caught in a room with someone who is gay... Or if he'd said, oh, that would be homophobic and he'd go by now. And if he'd said, oh, don't trust that guy because he's black, he'd have gone by now. But you are allowed to get away with a lot more if you have a go at women. It is considered yeah, fair game. Yeah, that's, that that's is true. And that is, that's yeah. wrong. And I think that this, well, even picking up on that, that sort of privacy thing, even more to that, it, it kind of highlights, I think, we're going back to that kind of blokey thing and the environments of which we're working in. It's the lack of kind of perhaps diversity amongst all of that. You know, they're allowed to do that because it's still, in all sort of aspects of football and boardrooms and the Premier League, still very white, very upper middle class, very blokey, not very women, no, well, well, no black people. Heather Bats kind of she's probably great for them because in the FA she because she covers, boxes. she takes several boxes. All if only she were to come out. Well, is that, you know, instead, she, she's married. She's to married that, that, that very that, sexy yeah. Mike Lee. <laughs> um, yeah. All that said, I, I take your point on that, but. Still, it's still a conversation between two people. So unless you take diversity to the point where there is nobody else in your um, sort of racial, socioeconomic class, no, 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 you but won't ever, you won't ever say, cut that these, these things have to but, change in time. And at the moment, I, I agree with Warren uh, Allison. That I, I want to ask you, though, about uh, Allison's point, because I thought it was really interesting. From, out of all of us, you're the only one who actually decides what is news and what gets in the newspaper. While this may be a minor infraction, can you justify running this story in, in, with the possibility that it might prompt other people to come forward, people who maybe have had more significant contact with Scudamore, because ultimately we are talking about somebody who'd only been there for, for one week. The, the thing about the story is once you've taken into account kind of what was said and, and who said it and the circumstances and trying to get to the context of it, I think we are at that point where it is – we've reached that point where it's becoming a story now, which is actually kind of what happens to – which is good more, and how this private company, which is the Premier League, reacts to it. The reading of it was that he is, a bit like I've always said, he's guilty of acting stupidly at the moment. So you report that man says this and acts stupidly, and this is the sanction taken to him. He should be wrapped on the knuckles for acting stupidly, in my opinion. 
if anything else happens to him by this private company, uh, which is the Premier League, then that's what we reported. I think the the difference being, as uh, I think Roy pointed out, is he's not you know he's not a government minister. It's maybe a public figure, but he doesn't he's not publicly funded or anything like that. So it's not as if the man in the street he's accountable to him. He's accountable to certain people that he works for. Well, he's um, accountable to the stakeholders in football, which go beyond the and they and they're, and they're and they're allowed to give their opinion. Right. It seems to be that they have um, you know. There have been um, people queuing up to give their opinion of what he said, and, they've been, and that's been reported. Enough of this. Financial fair play settlements came out on, uh, on Friday, late Friday. Thank you, UEFA, for making newspapers and media organizations' lives easy. If you want to go into the whole nitty-gritty about this, uh, there's plenty to read online. Uh, and I'm assuming you all know what the punishment doled out to City and to Paris Saint-Germain is. I want to debate the merits of FFP here, uh, but I... I I, I want to throw this to you, Rory. The punishment, is it actually manageable? This business with the squad sizes, because I was struck by one thing. I, I think a reduction in squad size to 21, um, a wage freeze, uh, a possible limit on new registrations, especially the, the, wage, the, 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 the limit to 21 while also maintaining the eight locally trained players. I think that's kind of hefty. Um, am I wrong here? No, I, I agree with you. I think I think it was a very clever punishment, and I think it's quite a harsh punishment. Um, and I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised City tried to a point to argue with it. Um, they've obviously put a spin on it, which is that you know they they weren't going to spend more than 60 million euros net in the transfer market anyway. They've made the point that they only had 21. I think they only used 21 players in the Champions League. Yeah, but year. it wasn't Boyata and Richard Wright. In other words, no. the people that they need to fulfil the uh, the quota. So no, I, no, 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 absolutely. And I so I think that they, they have tried to save face a little bit and try to kind of dampen concerns that it's a really bad punishment. But I, th- I, admit, I think it's significant, especially that limited transfer spend, because it, it, it puts them in a position where their position in the market is weaker. And I, I, I like probably quite a lot of people have been working on the assumption that the city next year will be stronger than they are this year. But that, that kind of precludes them going out and doing anything spectacular in the transfer market, unless they're going to sell players a sort of substantial number and uh, financial quantity of players. So I, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a clever punishment. I think it's, and it's shown that you, that you wait for taking FFP seriously. As you say, the, the other issue with FFP is is whether they're kind of punishing the right thing. I'm not sure they are. Um, but the real scandal, as I'm sure you agree, Jab, is Levski mm-hmm. Sofia. I think the way Levski Sofia have tried to queer the pitch on, on in, in in the Europa League is, is an absolute travesty, and they should have been hit with with perhaps the most the most serious of punishment. That's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> but it was really funny that Levski Sofia got punished. Why? I don't know. What the hell have Lev- what the hell could Levski Sofia have done to upset UEFA? So, have, they got, have, they, have they got like an American potato chip partner or something that that's not market value? No. They should just let teams like Levski Sofia do what the hell they like. Why? Because countries like that are at a massive disadvantage, and that's because of UEFA and the way that they have skewed the Champions League in favour of the big countries. So they should allow the Eastern European nations, the, the football nations that for years and years and years were genuinely competitive, to play by different rules so they can compete. Mm. Okay, Zenit, you can't thank introduce you. something called fair play and then yeah. say it only applies <laughs> to, 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 to you lot. That's the biggest that contradiction in terms going. But yeah, in terms of city, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a good punishment. Alison, are you a union member? No, oh, I don't. No, 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 stop being sexist, girl. No. <laughs> what is it? No, there was a point to this, which is ultimately the idea here, and I think the reason why City and PSG will 
you know, while it's obviously painful now, we'll probably welcome it in the long run, is that this is all about limiting costs and creating an environment where, you know, clubs cannot spend X amount of money. So ultimately, their costs will go down. The biggest cost of a football club is wages. I think, and people haven't really talked about this, but I, I, I think at some point, players might be like, well, hang on a minute. We're the ones who actually generate the revenue because people pay to watch us. Do they have a point? Well, isn't the way around it with bonuses, the way that... No, no, in, no. It, that's well, just a complete myth. It's just, really? It's a, yes, it's a complete myth. But I read it in the rules. Bonuses what? are not Bonuses don't count towards to financial fair play? Yeah. No. You, what rule did you read it in? Well, I haven't got it in front of me. City, I read it. City said, City said that in their statement. City said in their statement that... Um, bonuses wouldn't count to towards their towards the wage freeze that they're subjected to for next year, but that's a special punishment that they negotiated. But I mean, I think the idea is it's not. There's nothing. Bonuses are still expenses for clubs, right? So if it's a twelve for City, it's a twelve for anyone else. You can't allow one club to. No, you can because this is a settlement, right? So City and Paris Saint. It's also a precedent. This isn't. There's no common law here. There's no. This is. A, this is a specific settlement procedure that both sides agreed to in lieu of going to the adjudicatory chamber. And I can see everybody's already bored, so um, we can move on from this. But uh, this is. Uh, City and PSG are subjected to specific rules that will apply only to them. Last year, they agreed to them. That's what the settlement means, and and that was in lieu of going to the adjudicatory chamber. All right, on to the Champions League final. Rory, uh, we're delighted that you have you there actually doing reporting on the ground. It's Monday, so this news will be out of date by the time you will talk to him. But um, what's the latest uh, as of 12.30 on Monday on Diego Costa? Uh, Diego Costa, we think, has a hamstring injury. Atletico are saying that it's unlikely that he'll be able to play. I would imagine that that is the case unless he sort of has some sort of injection of cast blood or something into his into his affected uh, hamstring. Uh, he was in tears on the bench in Barcelona on Saturday. Uh, I've got to admit, put my personal view, if it is just if it if it is what it looked like, which is a, a hamstring pull, uh, my personal view would be whether he's fit for the World Cup, not whether he's fit for the um for the champion for the Champions League final. Chances of getting back in, in six days are pretty minimal. Um, he's got a month to recover for the World Cup, just short of a month. So you'd imagine he'd be in, in Vicente del Bosque's squad, but you wouldn't necessarily be certain of it. And Arda Turan? Uh, that one I'm not sure on, actually, as of 12.30 on a Monday, uh, given that I spent most of this morning going to the Burnabout to get my accreditation for Real Madrid's press day tomorrow. Arda was a quadriceps strain. Uh, I would imagine that, too, probably rules him out of the final in terms of precedent and how long these things generally take to heal. You... That, that one looked less serious. Okay, I, I need you to set and just just to set the scene here because um, I'm assuming we all watched it because there was nothing else to watch at that time, uh, unless you're David Dunn. But just the sheer drama of it: Atletico Madrid playing away at Barcelona. They need to avoid defeat to be crowned Spanish champions for the first time in 1996 and only the second time in donkey's years. And all of a sudden, their best player gets hurt, and their second best attacking player gets hurt this inside of 20 minutes, then just when you think that they can still hang on there and gut it out with a bit of luck, Alexis Sanchez conjures up this, this absurd finish where he just threads the needle, and all of a sudden you kind of feel like it's not going to be their, their day. Uh, but it was. Can you tell us what changed and what it felt like, Roy? 
Well, what, it, it was a, it was an incredible occasion, I've got to say. And, and as you say, Sanchez's goal was was one of those that gets you out of your seat. There's not many of those, especially at the end of the season uh, when you've been to sort of dozens and dozens of games. Uh, but it was it was a remarkable finish. It really was. Uh, it kind of caught everybody by surprise. The entire ground went completely silent for about five seconds because no one no one was quite sure what happened because he could try that another thousand times and never score it again. But then what happened after that goal was Atletico for two or three minutes kind of seemed to lose their heads just a little bit. Uh, I think they, they picked up two very quick bookings. Uh, and then they calmed down and they just, they just went again, to use the, the, the phrase du jour. Um, and after half-time, they came out of the block at absolutely breakneck speed. Uh, according to Thibaut Courtois, all Simeone said was press Fabregas and Iniesta a bit, a bit further and remember that you're better than them. And the first five, ten minutes of the second half, Atletico just destroyed Barcelona. Godin equalised with a with a, a wonderful header. They, they, they'd hit the hit the post with David Villa, I think, just before that. Pinto had come off his line to, to smother another chance of Villa. The ball just wouldn't quite drop for him. And what was most remarkable, to take it away from Atletico onto Barcelona, was that Barcelona had 40 minutes to score one goal, and they won the lead. After everything they've been through this season, they had 40 minutes just to score one goal against a team that had lost its best player, and, and in Arda Turan, kind of it's the, the, the best physical embodiment of that side. Arda and Atletico Madrid just fit perfectly. Um, and Barcelona didn't really create a chance. And it was mildly pathetic. Mm. And if, you, if you'd wanted a better... You couldn't have asked for a better example of what's happened to Barcelona than the team that scored six in the Bernabeu, that put five past Real in the new Camp, that, that beat Manchester United twice in the Champions League final. They couldn't create a chance in 40 minutes. And well, that's, that's Barcelona with Messi and Iniesta and eventually Xavi and, and Sest on the pitch. I'm going to ask you, Alison and Clive, what's a better story? Real Madrid making it 10 and, and Carlo proving that um, good guys win again and that light will ultimately triumph over darkness? Or Diego Simeone and the ultimate underdog's tale with a bit of uh, debt servicing and TPO thrown in? Well, if he won the double, I think that would... Underline his credentials as manager. Manager, there you go. Everything's about Manchester United. The universe, if there is such an accolade. What? So that's a better story than Real Madrid. It's a better footballing story. Do you agree? Uh, Yeah, I think it is. Rory, what's the better story? No, Atleti by a million miles. It's not. It's a biblical tale of good guys. (laughs) Come on. All right, time now for some quick hits. Bakari Sanya is out of contract, and he's reportedly mulling over an offer from Manchester City. Alison, if you were his best friend, what would you advise? If I saw him in a pub in Mallorca, like what I saw David done, exactly, uh, I would say, I would say, Bakari, Bakari, how can you leave? You, they were singing your name, Bakari Sanya. We want you to stay. In a way, if he decided to U-turn and he said for a long time he wants to go, but if he U-turned and said, I want to stay, I can see great things happening at Arsenal, that, I think that would be quite significant because there must be quite a few Arsenal fans already come Monday thinking, oh, I don't know, has anything changed really? If, if Bakri Sanya can say, I don't think I, my only chance of great, great silverware is with City, I could do it at Arsenal then... I think that'd be good for everybody. All right, so you want him to stay rather than go and be Pablo Zabaleta's backup. Yeah. Diego Costa looks to be on the verge of joining Chelsea for around about thirty-two million pounds or so. The well-informed tell us, Rory, is he the answer to Mourinho's questions? He is the perfect striker for Mourinho. He's powerful. He holds the ball at well. He scores goals out of nothing. He tends to tends to be a bit sort of patchy in that he'll score a lot of goals usually early in the season and then fade a little bit later. Uh, no, I can see why Chelsea wants to sign him. I don't think there's any better options out there. 
The one caveat is that his career trajectory doesn't make him an obvious star. He's kind of had two big seasons, but before that, not much really. That could be that he's a slow burner, and it could be that, you know, like Drogba, he, he will come good later in his career. It could be that these are the exception rather than the rule, but that, that's the risk you're going to have to take these it, days. It could also be that he had all sorts of uh, issues, so to speak, earlier in his career, especially with discipline. It's Derby versus Queen's Park Rangers in the championship playoffs. McLaren versus Redknapp, the man who was England manager to the man who was England manager in the hearts of all right-thinking Englishmen. Alison, who would you rather see back in the top flight? I'm assuming it's going to be QPR <coughs> because uh, you live considerably closer to Loftus Road than to Pride Park. Well, the uh, answer's in the question. But if, if I take up um, geographical bias and selfishness, I would it's like... Harry. I would well, we like, need characters in the Premier League. I would like... No, I would like Derby. Breath of fresh air. I would air. like Derby as a club to be given another chance. They, well, they were they so were, rubbish I, last time. I, I, exactly. What Give them another chance. Give them another chance. Unlike they QPR, were who were such stellar. an iconic club. And it's, I don't know, people, there's a generation of people who don't know what Derby County are, so give them a chance. Tony Evans writes in today's paper that the key to a successful national team is improving the 45 or so guys who can actually get picked for it, rather than fiddling around with B teams or getting hundreds of Englishmen in the top flight. Rory, given that he's our boss, I'm assuming you agree with him, as do I, in the strongest possible terms. Uh, I don't mean have to do one rather than the other. I, I, I think your, your aim should be to do both, surely, to, to have the biggest possible pool of, of high-quality players. The that perfect is the enemy of the good. Uh, fine. But no, I, yeah, I mean, I, I see what he means, that you, you want to have a core of high-quality performers, uh, world-class players, but you also want to have a lot of people of your own nationality to choose from, such as countries like Spain, Italy and Germany enjoy. Yeah, but if they're thirty-year-old reserve right backs, why they got to be English? You're never going to pick them. What anyway. are you talking about? Thirty-year-old reserve right backs—they need to earn a living too, Mark Offie. Come it's, on, it's, it's my euphemism for rubbish. England players were off on holiday this past week before meeting back up with uh, Uncle Roy for training camp. Clive, do you think they all behaved during their time off? When you say behaved, I mean, are we talking sort of the fact there's a lack of kind of dentist chair stories still going around now or just they kept themselves fit and trained like that nice Frank Lampard does well, I, I, I'm assuming I'm assuming there were snappers chasing them people looking and paying sources for stories of bad well, behaviour like found in years them, past but there aren't any which, so are maybe they are actually more professional I think that possibly you know, the, as the squad is kind of getting younger um and the, this this continental influence of you know how professional the uh, the foreign players have been since they've been over here, perhaps that has rubbed off on them. It's their first for a lot of them. It's their first kind of major tournament or World Cup coming up, so they don't want to uh, do anything that would jeopardise that. And to be honest, I'm still waiting for that that story to break where you know that gets at the England team and it's all the media's fault. And we haven't had that yet. And um, there's still time. They've still got to go to Miami, of course. You know, so you, you never know. I and mean, we're still looking for... What is it? We haven't got the World Cup, as we said today, really. We haven't got that World Cup part of the body yet. As we even, this year's metatarsal. When's that going to come into play? <laughs> I know they're going to Miami, but I, I, let me assure you, there's no way you can get in trouble in Miami. No temptation there. Gab, I have a question for you. It's always a surprise to Gab I have a question for him. Uh, Tiki Taka is officially dead, so I'm assuming Bayern and Pep Guardiola did not win the double. Um... No, they did win the double. No Alison. way. No way. 
But uh, they didn't do it playing particularly well against Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund uh, also had a goal disallowed. Hummels may or may not have been offside, but the ball did cross the line, show, proving once again that in your brilliant hipster Bundesliga, they're nowhere near as good as the Premier League, Premier League because they don't have goal line technology. Um, wasn't great for Pep. They did have injuries. He played Pierre Hoiberg, who I thought was pretty bad. Obviously, no Mario Mandzukic, who was very upset and who uh, uh, has been linked to a move to, to these shores. In the end, I think it was about getting another trophy for Pep, and the reality is Bayern Munich entered six trophies this year, and they won four of them, um, which I think is, uh, is, is pretty impressive. Let's judge him next season before we pronounce uh, Pep and his style of football to Let's. be deceased. Many, 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 many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Clive Petty, and Rory K. Smith. Many thanks also to our relatively competent producer, Dave McGuire, who's done a wonderful job behind the scenes after uh, taking over from the evil Chris Skinner. You can check out thetimes.co.uk. It's the perfect way to read our wonderful content without worrying about getting print ink on your hands. And if you prefer being an ink-stained wretch, well, that's still available to you at your local newsagent as well. As I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, this is the last podcast of the domestic season. However, we're going to be back broadcasting once a week during the World Cup. And I'm delighted to say that uh, both hosts... Are joining me here in the studio, Allison. You excited to host? I'm You're so an old hat. You've done before. And Clive, you'll be hosting too. So I'm told. Bring it on. I'm, I've been studying it for weeks, Gab. There you go. Learn from the best, and not just them, but learn from me as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege. Um, are we back next season, McGuire? You're nodding. Fingers crossed. Gab, right. Gab, give give the producer the bottle of champagne you got for him. For the season. He doesn't drink, though. <laughs> you don't drink, do you? He's a finely tuned athlete, McGuire. All right, enough of this. Till next time, it's been fun. It's been real. Have a good one. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read? to subscribe on iTunes. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.